ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय So we are reading in Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 10, Chapter 87, Prayers of the Personified Vedas. We're up to text number 10. Uh, 10 and 11 have no purport. Uh, 12 and 13 do so I what I like to do is actually we'll chant 12 and 13 and then I'll read the purport everybody have to rearrange their devices to get <laughs> 12 and 13 because right, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just uh, chant the Sanskrit and uh, the translation for 11 and uh, 10 and 11 and then we'll uh, chant all together 12 and 13 okay so text number 10 goes like this Svetatvipam gatavati tvai drashtum tarishvaram brahma vidvada susam vitta shuttayo yatra sherate tatrahayam abhuprashna tamam yamanu anupricchasi Translation, at that time you happened to be visiting the Lord on Shwetadvip, that Supreme Lord in whom the Vedas lie down to rest during the period of universal annihilation. A lively discussion arose among the sages on the Janaloka as to the nature of the Supreme Absolute Truth. Indeed, the same question arose that you are now asking that you are asking me now text 11 turya shutta tapashiras turya siyari madhyama api chakru pravachannam ikkam shushushavopare Although these sages were all equally qualified in terms of Vedic study and austerity, and although they all saw friends, enemies, and neutral parties equally, they chose one of their number to be the speaker, and the rest became eager to listen. Uh, if uh, you've forgotten uh, uh, the... Uh, question uh, was asked uh, at the beginning of the chapter uh, uh, the, uh, the question was asked uh, by Pariksit uh, 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 the and these two, his question and the answer, by the way, constitute in itself an Upanishad. It says, he asks in the first text, how can the Vedas directly describe the supreme absolute truth? It cannot be described in words because the Vedas are in words. And he's described as Anirvachaniya and so on cannot be described in words. 
Uh, the Vedas are limited to describing the qualities of material nature, but the Supreme is devoid of these qualities being transcendental to all material manifestations and their cause. That's the question. And then the answer, my Shukadeva Goswami, the Supreme Lord manifests the material intelligence, senses, mind, and vital airs of the living entities so they could indulge their desire for sense gratification, take repeated births to engage in fruitive activities and become elevated in future lives and ultimately attain liberation. That's the answer. Wait a minute, how does that answer the question? <laughs> uh, and it says, well, you know, sometimes, the, 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 yeah, this is typical uh, that questions are answered but in a kind of subtle way. We've already heard about that. Uh, and so now, Then, then uh, it goes on to say that uh, the same question arose earlier uh, and was discussed by our predecessors and so therefore uh, he says I'm going to tell you uh, about a conversation that occurred between uh, Narayana Rishi and Narada Muni uh, at Bhadarikashram in the Himalayas. Uh, and uh, so then it describes that uh, Narayana Rishi's been there uh, performing penances and, and so on and, and Narada Muni asked him the same question and then uh, with a bunch of sages there at the village of Kalapa which is near Badarikashram and then um, um, then he says uh, to him uh, that uh, that uh, Narayana Rishi tells Narada that actually the same question came up uh, among the residents of Janaloka, the place of residence of Janaloka, uh, where they were performing uh, a sacrifice of vibrating transcendental sound. Uh, and the sages there, the mental sons of Brahma, were all perfect celibates. Uh, and so then uh, we began the, So at that time, you weren't there because you were visiting the Lord on Sweta Dweep. <laughs> uh, so the same Lord who lies down had to rest during the period of annihilation. So while you weren't there, there was this described as here a. Uh, a lively discussion, uh, yeah, what they say, su uh, samvitta, su enthusiastic, or, you know, lively discussion about the same thing among the sages at Janaloka. And then it goes, uh, they're all equally qualified, uh, and, uh, but somehow or other they chose one of their members, uh, any one of them could have talked. And so then we get the 12, 13, where Sanandana is the one who is sort of arbitrarily chosen to speak. Uh, so we'll, now let's chant that text. <laughs> okay. So you can say after me. Sri Sanandana Uvacha Swasushtam Midam Apiya 
Shayanam Sashakti Bihi Shayanam Hurayam Chakrus Lord, 
Descriptions of his characteristics. Shrutayaha, the Vedas, Param, the Supreme, Yata, just as Shayanam, sleeping, Samrajam, King, Vandinaha, his court poets. His Parakramai with recitations of the heroic deeds at dawn, Abhetya approaching him, Sushokai poetic, Bodayanti they awakened, Anujivanaha his servants. Translation, Sri Sanandana replied, After the Supreme Lord withdrew the universe he had previously created, he lay for some time as if asleep, and all his energies rested dormant within him. When the time came for the next creation, the personified Vedas awakened him by chanting his glories, just as the poets serving a king approached him at dawn and awakened him by reciting his heroic deeds. Purport. At the time of creation, the Vedas are the first emanation from the breathing of Lord Mahavishnu 
and in personified form they serve him by waking him from his mystic sleep. This statement made by Sanandana implies that Sankarshan and the other sages had asked him the same question that Narada had asked Narayana Rishi and Maharaj Pariksit had asked Shukadeva Goswami. Sanandana refers the question back to the example of the personified Vedas themselves in their address to Lord Mahavishnu. Even though the Vedas knew that the Lord, being omniscient, does not need to be informed of his glories, they enthusiastically took this opportunity to praise him. Okay, so we have, as it says in the purport, a conversation nested within a conversation and nested within a conversation. It's typical. Uh, somebody asks a question, they refer to a previous time the question was asked among authorities, and how did they reply? And those authorities replied by reciting. So here you go back to the very beginning of creation. You can't get any higher authorities answering a question than the Vedas themselves glorifying the Lord, personified in their personal forms. All the Vedas are personal. And you should realize that right away, the very fact that they're glorifying, the Vedas themselves are glorifying the Lord, answers the question. Uh, 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 they are doing it. Even though there, there's a relationship and they're glorifying the Lord, so they are, the Vedas themselves, addressing him so therefore he's a person and there's a relationship. So it sort of answers the question uh, automatically just by giving this example. That's one, one aspect. Um, um, several questions arose uh, to me when I was looking at this. First of all, uh, this takes place on Janaloka, which is a little surprising because uh, uh, the actual residence of the uh, the Urvareta brahmacharis headed by the the, the uh, four kumaras is Tapaloka. So I don't know why they're on Janaloka. Because, because these planets, at least during the night of Brahma, they're there. They don't they don't go away. Uh, Maharloka uh, Janaloka, Tapaloka, and Satyaloka. It's described in the Briya Bhagavatamrita that Mahaloka stays, but it gets so hot from the fires of devastation below that, that uh, everybody there uh, goes up to Janaloka. Uh, and in Janaloka, they, um, uh, uh, Mahaloka, they're performing sacrifice. And Janaloka, there's uh, not much described. And then Tapaloka is where uh, the, the, the Brahmachari, uh, perfect Brahmachari sages 
state. They're usually described as solitary, their private meditation uh, 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 on the Lord. But here they're somehow rather down on uh, Janaloka and, uh, and, and talk, talking together. So anyway, that's, that's the way it's described here. So the other question that arose in my mind is, I, I, I read Prabhupada's summary of this in the Krishna book, and he says uh, uh, that this is, uh, is, is act, he describes it as Garbhodakshayi Vishnu that's being awakened, and here it's Mahavishnu. So I had to think about this one because, <laughs> because uh, Mahavishnu is described as perpetually in Yoga Nidra, that he's asleep and he's breathing, and when he exhales, the universe has come out of his nostrils in seedling form and his skin pores and when he inhales it come back in and he's like sort of the perpetual yoga nidra. Uh, uh, so my conclusion is that yeah, he's that way, he doesn't wake up, but when he does he's Garbhodakshayi Vishnu. He's in because they're all three forms of super soul. The super soul of all the universes, the super soul of the particular universe, and then, then where 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 Narada Muni happens to be, uh, uh, the uh, Swetha Dweep, he's the uh, that's the uh, lying on the milk ocean. That's the super soul of the individual living entities in the universe. So those are three forms of super soul. That Prabhupada mentions somewhere that we have to be prepared to meet these three forms of super soul. So the super soul that in our hearts, one of them, but there's more super souls, so to speak. So anyway, that's that if you ever thought about anyway, that that's why uh, that's why this he wakes up, uh, and this is very uh, 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 his energies are resting dormant within him, and then when they start to activate, they're activated within the sh- the universal cells are created and, and that's where he wakes up. Uh, and it's described here uh, the way kings used to wake up. There were uh, uh, suttas, bards, the, the, like, like Sutta Goswami, they're, they're, they're the court bards, the court poets. Uh, uh, they're not quite Brahmins, but somewhere in between, uh, 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 c- c- coming from a mixed union. And uh, so the, the, this was the, the, the court bards or the court poets. They would compile uh, verses glorifying the deeds of this, uh, the, the sovereign, Samraja, uh, the sovereign, the king, or whatever. Uh, and then this is how he was awakened by the court approaching him, court poets approaching him, and singing his glories of all, all his valorous deeds. Good way to wake up. <laughs> and you obviously want a sovereign who had absolute power in a good mood. <laughs> so this was the custom. <laughs> And so these the, 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 the suttas would, would, would compile the list of his glories and uh, add to them as he did things, and uh, that's how he woke up. So that was the way 
uh, he woke up. So these are the personified Vedas. So, the, the, so that's it. The Vedas are glorifying the Lord. Of course he can be described in words if he's being glorified. It's sort of, impl- I mean, there'll be more, more, uh, more about this, but, but uh, it sort of answers the question that that's what the Vedas do. Uh, they glorify the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, the Vedas are mostly dealing with the three modes. I mean, Krishna says to that, in the, to Arjuna and the Bhagavad Gita, that the Vedas deal with the three modes, rise above them. But meaning the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, and that is the bulk of the Vedas, uh, uh, which are mostly and the Karmakanda are the hymns for sacrifice and the instructions for sacrifice. Uh, 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 that's, what's, that's what's there. And the sacrifice, when you say Karmakanda, it means uh, that. Karma is, is not just action, but sacrificial action and all those other activities in support of that. That's what the Vedas did. That by sacrifice, the universe is sustained. Uh, uh, things don't go on unless there's, unless there's yajna. Uh, uh, and so these, these sacrificial, elaborate sacrificial performances that were done in the old days, they aren't done anymore because they're no more qualified uh, qualified uh, uh, Brahmins to do it. Uh, uh, there's a famous scholar, God, his name flew out of my head, uh, who actually became the sponsor of a sacrifice and he filmed it. What was his name? Do you remember, Shraddha? Oh, my God, everybody was his student. Uh, 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 yeah, from Berkeley. He, he, from, uh, he, he sponsored because he wanted to film a sacrificing sacrifice, and the brahmanas were almost all gone. They're not doing it anymore because I mean their kids are not learning the Vedas; they're learning computer coding. You know, they're going to school to do something else, and he realized that there would be nobody who knew how to perform a yajna, and and and, and, and so he sponsored this yajna. Because you have to memorize, the, you have to know them. The, 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 these brahmanas could, would learn how to chant the, the, the mantras forwards and backwards uh, perfectly, both syllable by syllable, forward syllable, because everything was memorized. Nothing was written down. I mean, it was really that's the sacrifice. And when the sacrifice was performed, you got you got the, the result. Uh, this, this, is what, this is what they did. And, and they're not happening anymore. I was told some scholar that, yeah, when we do Sankirtan, that's the yajna. He says, well, I'm glad somebody's performing sacrifice. <laughs> that's the yajna for this age. He said, oh, I'm glad somebody's performing sacrifice. <laughs> because people, you know, academics who have studied Vedic sacrifice, they're impressed because the amount of skill and knowledge, because, because we actually have uh, Indo-European philology and linguistics all comes from the way from, from Sanskrit 
how the language was analyzed in such a way so that you could learn it and pronounce it correctly. Uh, like, like the Sanskrit alphabet, uh, uh, e, e, u, u, I mean, it's scientific, not like the English alphabet. So anyway, this was, this was what they, uh, the, the, that was the main part of the Vedas for this karma conduct. And then the second section called the Brahmanas of the Vedas was for forest dwellers. When you left the village and went to the forest, you couldn't perform sacrifice anymore. You didn't have all the ingredients. You have all the, you know, if you're out in the forest, uh, you, uh, and, and so uh, at that time, uh, you did sacrifices by meditation and things like that. And then when you reflect on the deeper meaning of the Vedas, this is the Upanishads, the final philosophical portion of the Vedas, small. And in the Upanishads, they deal with the ultimate subject of the Vedas and the absolute truth, and with also jnana khanda and upasana khanda, you know, the, the, with, with, with ultimate destination for going back to Godhead. And as already said in the beginning, the Vedas are teaching you how to live prosperously in the world. That's part of the whole karma khanda, you know, how, how to live well and how to return back to Godhead at the end, or how to achieve ultimate liberation. Uh, those, those are the four Purushartas. Uh, uh, the four Purushartas are... How do they go? Uh, dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. Right. You perform dharma, you follow the Vedas and do the Vedas for what? Artha, uh, for prosperity. Uh, why prosperity? Kama, so you can satisfy your senses and moksha. At the end, attain moksha. You satisfy your senses in such a way that you can't go back to God. Okay. Um, so this is what the, uh, the Vedas are, are for. So now... Uh, here we have the Vedas and, and the, the, the Upanishads, Vedanta. Uh, the end of the Vedas is the... So the study of the Upanishads, the teachings of the Upanishads, is called Vedanta, dealing with the end of the Vedas, either the concluding part of the Vedas or the end in the sense of the purpose of the Vedas. Uh, that's, that's, what it's, uh, that's what it's ultimately about. So here we have the personified Vedas together glorifying the Lord. Now what it occurs to me, and which is you could only know this or understand this after the appearance of Lord Chaitanya, they're performing Sankirtan. <laughs> this is the Vedas all together glorifying the Lord. What is that? That's Sankirtan. Which is the, happens to be the Yuga Dharma for the sage, which is the in the book that's written for people of this age, so they can understand uh, uh, the Vedas. So that's, there it is. It's primordial. I, I didn't see that anybody points this out, but anyway, it's it, it, maybe because it's so self-evident. But I, 
when you say something is self-evident, sometimes you have to say self-evident to whom, because <laughs> obviously that. But anyway, this is sankirtan. This is this is what they're doing. They're 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 glorifying the Lord. That's what the that's what the point of, uh, 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 of the Vedas uh, are. So this is how he wakes up, hearing that the uh, uh, that the Vedas are. Uh, uh, glowing, glorifying. And then you'll see as they begin, Jaya, Jaya, you know, obviously glorifying. Just as the king, when he's woken by his suttas in the morning, he's glorified. So in the same way, they're glorified. And also, by the way, there's there's good instructions for the king given also, you know, advising him how to be just and merciful and all, all these kinds of things. And, uh, uh, the good instruction is also put in there. Uh, uh, and it says here that uh, even though the Vedas knew that the Lord, being omniscient, does not need to be informed of his glory, because it's, it's mentioned that 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 the Vedas are ma- the first thing that's manifest as he begins to wake up or comes to a higher and different state of consciousness for creation. Uh, that's the first thing that's manifest is the Vedas. I mean, the, you, 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 this is a, a very important thing because the the Vedas are in fact the blueprints. For creation, uh, uh, years ago, Sadhuta taught me when I actually when I first met him that the theory of evolution doesn't work. Uh, I had shown him this letter I had gotten from Srila Prabhupada, suggesting that for uh, I asked him if he had any ideas what I could write a doctoral dissertation on, and he suggested that I defeat Darwin, which put me in a state of shock. I grew up in Texas and Oklahoma and everybody I knew who didn't believe in Darwin was like somebody I didn't want to be like. I was subjected to those people in my childhood somewhat, these evangelical fundamentalist Christians. And I said, my God, is that what we are? You know? So I was kind of in a state of shock. And then I realized, of course, it, it, Bhagavatam and the Gita, of course Darwin's wrong. But I, then I thought, how could you defeat him? I had no idea. And, uh, and then I happened to meet Sadaputa. He was not yet known for anything. He had just gotten initiated. and They had him in Duvrindavan as the treasurer because he was a PhD in mathematics for Cornell. He wasn't a good treasurer either. Uh, because your real job as a treasurer is not doing the arithmetic, but getting the receipts and telling people they can't have money. Uh, so so he was uh, out, they didn't know what to do with him. So anyway, he showed up some kind of traveling sangerton party, what they always do with the people they couldn't do anything else with, they don't want to collect money. But anyway, so he was, showed up in my temple, we, we, I started to talk to him, I said, wow, here's a guy who just you know, got a PhD in mathematics. So I showed him the letter from Prabhupada, do you have any idea how Darwin could be wrong? Uh, and then he said to me, he said, well, I knew Darwin was wrong before I became a devotee. 
I said, really? And he says, yeah. He says, actually, most mathematicians know that Darwin is wrong. They just don't say anything because it upsets the biologists so much. <laughs> and then later, you know, he gave me some arguments, which later he elaborated and, and, and wrote down. The uh, argument from information theory that life can't come from, from matter. And people have begun, it's beginning to sneak out now. It's becoming more that, in fact, there's not, if everything is just random and chaos at the beginning, if there's, the summit has got to be information at the beginning. If it's just random and you have chaos at the beginning, for, it to, for this amount of order to arisen by chance, there's not nearly the amount of time it would take, because they can figure this out mathematically. It's not there. You have to have some direction, some order. What, what the Greeks called logos, some reason, primordial reason, for there this order to be there. So that logos, uh, which the Christians then adopted and said, you know, in arte hino logos, in the beginning was the word. But that word is logos, which is a word from Stoic philosophy. Greek philosophy, that there's some, some primordial reason. And they took that idea of the Logos and said, yeah, that's Jesus. Uh, but any, anyway, the, here's the Logos is actually the Vedas personified. <laughs> that's what it is. They're the directions for the universe. And when human beings are created, one of the human beings are created are the Brahmanas. They are the human beings who know how to understand that reasoning. They have the capacity to understand Logos, to understand the Vedas. And two things, Gana Vigana, this is, this is what the, their qualities is, Gana, what, what you need to understand it, Sama Dhamma Tapa Socham, Shantim Arjavameva, Gana Vigana Astikyam. These are the the qualities of the Brahmana. These are what you need to have in order to understand it. If modern day scholars or intellectuals can't understand because, well, where's Sama? Control of the mind, control of the senses, austerity, Sama, Dhamma, Tapa, Socha, cleanliness. Where are they being taught that in any university or graduate department of anything? Nowhere. So of course they can't understand. They're not qualified. The Brahmanas are qualified. They have these, uh, so they can, then they have jnana, they have knowledge. And vijnana, they can apply it. And therefore they can organize human society so that these dharma, artha, kama, moksha can be all done successfully. And that's what's in the Vedas. That's uh, that's that, that, that's given here. So uh, uh, interesting that this is Sankirtan. Uh, I was told uh, I don't know where I don't remember ever reading it, but Prabhupada. But I was told that when you uh, you have your japa beads and there's a hundred and eight uh, beads, that each there's a hundred and eight principal Upanishads. And every time you chant on one bead, that's the equivalent of studying one of those Upanishads. It's also 108 principal gopis, and that's another. 
aspect, but that that's so so uh, uh, that's how merciful things have gotten. I mean, still you have to chant them properly, purely, but but that's you get endowed with that that same knowledge. That's because what are the Upanishads ultimately doing? Ultimately, they're all glorifying Krishna. And so, in the most condensed form, with Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare. That's one Upanishad, <laughs> and the 108 principal Upanishads by 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 uh, chanting Hare Krishna. And we see that this Sankirtan is here right from the very beginning uh, of creation. Uh, so, okay. Any questions or comments? Maharaj. Thank you very much. Uh, I think I, I would have loved that uh, you, you share with us uh, uh, what uh, has a little bit more, I love it more on Western Buddha uh, profile <laughs> to, to add a recommendation to deal with the, the Taoist theory. Oh, well, uh, uh, as far as what Sadapuda did, um, uh, well, he had the technical mathematical way of dealing with it, and I can't follow the mathematics myself, uh, but using information theory. Uh, And later on, for example, uh, I happened to read an account in Science News about about a a conference of cosmologies, who came up with the same conclusion. It was, it was actually in Washington, D.C., and a bunch of cosmologists were talking at, at a conference uh, about, the, about uh, how the universe came into being. Because they still, you know, they were looking for the origin of everything, I have to say that, you know. Uh, and somebody gave a paper at that conference uh, who, who, in the paper, said that uh, well, there, there was a uh, that 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 in the number of years that are estimated for the existence of the universe, and they have a way of calculating it. There's simply not enough time for the order to have emerged by chance. That you have totally random conditions at the beginning of creation, the so-called Big Bang. And then by ch- the working of chance, order gradually emerges. Uh, uh, you know, they're, 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 there's the subatomic particles come together into atoms, and the atoms gradually come together, the molecules, and then the molecules get more complicated, and you have carbon molecules, and they form big organic, and then, then you know, those, and then, you know, eventually life shows up. All by chance. Or with no guiding, without, without, by random action. That's how it's supposed to happen. Uh, and because they've convinced people this is the explanation. You, 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 you had the Big Bang and things were completely at random and, and so on. Uh, he showed that actually if the initial conditions of the universe are completely at random, there's not nearly an amount of time that we take. And so he proposed, one guy gave a paper, 
that there were at the initial some order. That's all. There was some amount of order at the beginning. Well, this upsets some people. Because if there's some order, then you want a reason. And so they had a debate, you know, they, they used the example of was the deck stacked? You know, one, one way gamblers cheat with cards is they, there's actually, the deck is not, you shuffle them, it's supposed to be random. But you know how to shuffle them right, there's actually some order anyway, and then you can know what's going to happen. So this was the, there was a, he, they, they called it the stacked deck theory of the universe as opposed to the shuffle deck theory. And it mentioned in the article that, that uh, uh, somebody actually, the, the question was, if the deck is stacked, who stacked it? Or how did it get stacked? And it mentioned in the article that somebody actually said the name God. The traditional deck stacker, and then there was, and it said, "Here's the sentence from the article." But most scientists prefer not to take that cop out route. Cop out. Cop out means you give up. You you quit. In other words, the ground rule of science is God is not allowed. So that's not a proof. That's setting a ground rule. If, if I see people are playing tennis and I'm saying, hey man, you keep having a problem getting that ball because the net's in the way, get rid of the net. No, no, that's the purpose of the game is to have the net, you know. So then, you know, who sets rules of games? I mean, what's the scientific proof for if you say, God, you, you have to give up your job, you get kicked out of the department, you don't get your degree. You know, that's really how you set rules of games. These things are not allowed. Because we set the rules. And that's what's happened. Uh, that's what's happened in America. With the idea of, because the idea was proposed of intelligent design, it's out there. Uh, and, and, you know, people say, well, you know, if, if uh, well, in America it's sort of like, well, if there is a God, then you have to accept Jesus Christ in your heart as personal Savior and, 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 and watch Fox News. And, you know, you have to become a Christian conservative. I mean, there's lots of other options. But anyway, most of the options are not considered it smart. So that, that's, that's, that's what happened. So Sadapuda, and you can read his books. He's, he's, he, he's detailed these uh, these uh, the, these various uh, mathematical forms of these arguments, and uh, other people either imitating him or or, or uh, have also come to the same conclusion. Uh, and it's just sitting there waiting to uh, sooner or later, it'll come out, because still most mathematicians know it doesn't work. Now. I mean, you could be a Stoic. A stoic just says somehow or other there's flea-floating information sitting there and then they don't even worry about where it comes from. Huh. You could just stop there. Uh, or they just somehow there's some abstract information out there and that's the way it is. But if you say, well, where did that come from? Anyway, that's, that's, that's the situation. But there's anyway, there's ways to quantify order and complexity. 
in mathematics and express it mathematically, and then you can do neat things with it and make these calculations. Anything else? Yeah? Of maybe going back and, and uh, writing about that at all, or it's just not your. Well, uh, I'm 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 not a I'm, you know my training is in theology and not in, in science. It's not not in math, mathematics, uh, and I don't have so much talent for mathematics. Shraddha's good at mathematics though. <laughs> So at least to follow up with Sadapudas, nobody's that I not not very many people have actually followed up on it. There's one um, statement by Shiva Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati in the purports of the Brahma Samhita. I don't want to misquote, but something like that. Something like saying that the Vedas, because the Vedas appeared after the time of creation, you know this this um, I can't statement where he says. Uh, the Vedas appeared after the time of creation, so they they actually can't um, reach to that person beyond the creation. They actually can't. Yeah, well, the, they, the usual indication of the person in the Vedas is somewhat indirect. Uh, it's there, but it, it's it's a, a little indirect. Some of the some of the Vedas are, are fairly explicit. The Svetashita, Upanishad, and others, and others are focused on impersonal Brahman. Uh, but when you say that, that knowledge is confidential, uh, we use that word, it's uh, 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 confidential knowledge. Uh, Prabhupada's comment on confidential is not everyone will be able to appreciate it or understand it. It's not that it's exactly so sometimes Krishna is described as inaccessible to the Vedas. Um, it must be in, that, in the purport of that verse. Yeah. Advaitam achyutam anadam anantam adhyam purana purusham. Yeah. It must be in that verse. Vedai shudurlabam. Yeah. Vedai shudurlabam. Very honest, but very under, hard to understand. For, well, it doesn't say impossible. Shudurlabam. Very difficult. Durlabham is hard, but Sudurlabham is really hard. That's if you're trying on your own strength, you know. If, but I, I, the sincere effort to understand the truth is kind of a prayer. To understand the absolute truth is kind of a prayer. And sometimes Krishna comes and answers that prayer, even if you, you don't even know you're praying. I, I have to say that that's, that's true. That can happen. That story of um, Satsuru Maharaj, he was so attached to the philosophers he'd been reading before becoming a devotee, Nietzsche and Kant. And yeah. And, and he asked Prabhupada, didn't they have any God consciousness at all? And Prabhupada's reply was that their sincerity is their God consciousness. Their what? Their sincerity. Their sincerity, yeah, and it's there. It's there. It's, if you look at Einstein, you know, he, he sort of, people like him in America because he seemed to be a theist. But what he says, I, I believe in the goddess Spinoza, which in the goddess Spinoza is impersonal. 
Deus sede natura, God or nature. Of course, there's two kinds of nature in Spinoza, so there's some hint of something beyond. But you cannot, by, go, by the upward method, you can only go so far and you hit a wall. And you, 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 you hit a blank. And, and there has to be some kind of input from the outside, of inspiration from Krishna. And then once you can see it, then it's obvious. Because I, I, think, I think that, that by, by mental effort you can understand at least I, I think so, that, that the absolute truth is a person or that the impersonal is inadequate. It's, it's very easy to understand because we're looking for non-duality. We want to come to the stage of non-duality. But if we say, here's the relative, the many, and here's the one, and I want to come to the non-dual area, but the difference between many and one is itself a duality. So if I just choose the one and exclude the many, I'm still in the realm of duality. What is that one that is somehow the synthesis of the one and the many? And then, blah. But you can understand it's there. What is it? And if God is a person, then, you know, you're asking for very concrete things. I could understand God as a person that he plays a flute as opposed to a trombone. There's no way by mental speculation you can figure out concrete things. I mean, mental speculation goes from the concrete to the abstract. And you always get more and more abstract. So, so but, but, but you say God is a person then you, then, then, that you can enter a relationship with, that means it's got a name, form, well, what are those? But as soon as you say Krishna is blue, oh, well, that limits him, he's just blue. Well, no, no, here he's white, here he's red, here he's orange, here he's, you know, look, he's got all the rainbow coalition, you know? <laughs> but really what Krishna is like as a person, you have to meet him. And to meet him when you knock on the door, he has to open it for you and not say, stay out. <laughs> so there has to be some reciprocation from the other side. And then suddenly there's somebody, something unconditionally greater than you are, and that's a problem for a lot of people. You know? Because a lot of what human life is about, about is a God project. I mean, really, the aim of progress is we control the universe. We control material nature and we really get it down. We're God. Because remember, we're going to conquer space. I've heard those terms. Conquer space. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Can't even conquer your own mind, you know. Start there. <laughs> anyway, we've got late pieces done now. Thank Not you very much. Huh? Just one other point. Speaking of random chaos, trying to come to the point of understanding that God is blue and plays a flute, and then there's this that, that what? That trying to understand through speculation that God is blue and plays a flute. That would take. You can't do it. You could never do it. 
No, you know, so he has to show you this is what I play and what kind of flute? What does it look like? Well, he's got a bunch of them actually, you know. Venu is one kind of flute and there's other flutes, you know. Got a collection. He herds cows. Not goat, not sheep. Cows. Well, far out cows, but they're cows. <laughs> Surabi cows. Even people who are Christians have, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, who, what's a shepherd now? What's a sheep? Who sees a sheep, you know? Anyway, that's another question. We better stop. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai Shri Prabhupada.